Yo, what's up? Welcome back to the Business Kids Podcast. We talk to real people, not their job titles. Let's get straight to business. Hello, everybody. Today we are joined by Yumi Chan, entrepreneur, salsa dancer, and all-around great guy. How are you? Doing very well, Jesus. How, how about you? Those. That was Seb, actually, but, you know. Oh, that was <laughs> <So>. Seb. <laughs> that, that was an epic introduction, though. Love, love so, the start of that. Yeah, I guess before we begin, we gave our little introduction. Could you give a, a little introduction about yourself? You know, who you are, what you do? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, my name is Jimmy Chan. I'm the CEO and co-founder of a company called Odyssey 3D. In a nutshell, we create 3D models and virtual reality experiences for homes for sale, primarily in the greater Toronto area. I was a past York uh, alumni or a past York uh, student back in 2016. I started the company during my last year in school. So since then, I partnered with one of my classmates. Uh, We service the biggest Remax brokerage in Canada right now, basically helping realtors sell their homes better. Right. Uh, that's, uh, That's one of our clients, but we service also other realtors from different brokerages. And uh, I guess relatively, we're the top 1% in the type of uh, work that mm-hmm. we do in Canada. So that's a little bit about the company, uh, more so when I was a student. Uh, during, uh, I, I mean, so I did my undergraduate at the Schulich Business, uh, came to school, uh, came to Schulich, uh, thinking that it was uh, one of the most elite business schools, and it is, right, uh, in Canada. And I wanted to learn how to be a business leader from this school. I was not that impressed, to be honest. Uh, During my first year or two, I had some, uh, I guess, an identity crisis because I felt like I wasn't going to learn how to be a business leader. I wasn't going to learn how to be an entrepreneur uh, studying what I was studying. Uh, So I had to make a decision. Um, Long story short, took about 16 months to uh, really leave. I actually left school and had a, I guess, like a mini odyssey, right? So yeah, I had an experience uh, backpacking uh, South, uh, South America, Central and South America, picked up Spanish um, along the way. And uh, really, that was kind of my coming of age journey. Uh, basically, half of my undergrad was spent in another country. And through that, those, this type of experience, I learned really what I wanted to do in life and what I wanted was to start a company. So I took that mini Odyssey and then I made it a full-fledged Odyssey with my current company, Odyssey 3D. So bouncing off of the idea of Odyssey 3D, you explained a little bit of what you do about what really it is in a nutshell. Uh, and I know that you presented the idea first, correct me if I'm wrong, in 2016 in the Schulich Startup Night. And then you just went on from there. What was like your vision uh, starting off in that when what was the reasoning behind it uh based on like your experiences uh in the real estate market and things like that before yeah for sure for sure so first of all i have absolutely no experience in the real estate market <laughs> uh, i i would love to say that my parents are realtors where you know i have uh, some connections in the de- uh developers but no I had, I had absolutely zero background the only thing i had for me was um i was a month in into my like real estate course Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was, that was confusing on its own. So I, 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 I really can't boast much knowledge there. Um, so what was my motivational factor? More or less, man, um, I was really desperate. Like I, I tried exploring all of the, uh, traditional, uh, I guess, realms of what a business, a good business student should go into. So I looked into, uh, looked into marketing, looked into accounting, looked into finance. And ultimately what I realized is that none of those career paths that I want to pursue, right? And what really, what really kind of spoke to me on that is that, you know, I had, you know, as students, you know, pursuing a professional designation, we're often taught to, you know, pick up coffee dates and, uh, you know, just pick people's brain and just like learn about their industry. So I did that with various different industries. And honestly, man, like not a single person that I, that I talked to during these meetings that I feel like, wow, man, I, like, I want to do that in the future. Right? In fact, coming out of those meetings, I just felt more stressed and more depressed because I'm like, fuck, I have to do that. So honestly, man, like, I was just deeply depressed and uh, I got fired from my first kind of legitimate job I had because of a disagreement with my manager. Basically, we had a meeting and he asked if I had any feedback for him on how he can be a better manager. And he asked me, so I gave him a bunch of feedback <laughs> and then he basically, like, 
he basically just shoved it back in my face. So I'm like, look, like, nah, I, like, yeah, I'm like, if you don't want the feedback, then, you know, like, why, why would you even ask? And we ha- had a whole argument. This ended up with uh, an FU and me getting fired. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, ultimately, like I had all these experiences that was a slap in the face. Um, I was, you know, I, and I told you before earlier that uh, I took this mini journey. Uh, I actually booked a one-way ticket to rural Guatemala um, during my second year university. Honestly, just to not do business school because I was in, I was not just vibing with what I was being taught, right? I don't think a purpose of a business should be to maximize profit. I think that's just a load of bullshit. To be honest, um, I think a purpose of the business should be to create value, right? It should be to benefit the community. And I wanted to experience something beyond just the modern uh, academic definition of capitalism. I wanted so long story short, uh, came out from all of these experiences. Um, and I really didn't know what I could do or what I was you know, like if I was even employable. So given these circumstances, the only thing to do if you don't think you're employable is to start your own company. So that's basically uh, the decision I was left to do. Like hunger was your motivation to just keep going just out of sheer desperation. That's when you started all this. Yeah, man, there was desperation. I started, uh, so while in school, I tried like four different other companies, filled out all of them. Um, And honestly, like at that point, when I started Odyssey, I, um, so I actually, so the moment, the day I started Odyssey was also the day um, I stopped my other project, right? And um, it was a hard breakup. I had a co-founder in that. Uh, we worked on it for only about three months. But, you know, as a, mm-hmm. as a undergraduate student, you think three months is a big, like, a, a lot of time. I was working with my best friend since childhood, right, on this project. And we had a really nasty breakup. Fortunately, we salvaged our friendship. But during that time, I remember I was so frustrated. Um, right after the talk, you know, I, I went up to a park bench and I punched it as hard as I could, broke my knuckles, uh, it's still like, I mean, if you see it close up, it's still like one knuckles bigger than the other, uh, to this day. And I was just deeply scarred. And I thought, fuck, I just, I never want to experience that again. I, w- I never want to experience failure. Like I've, I've tried everything, like everything that Shulik could offer, everything business school could offer me. I don't feel a fit in any of these. I feel like a complete outcast and I can't even start a business. So what good am I? And with that mindset, I went into Odyssey and I went in to prove myself wrong and to justify I guess, a little bit of value that I could bring to this world. So you're starting out uh, the whole company Odyssey. It seems that based on what you told me, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you had a little experience and little connections in that sort of uh, realm. Myself personally, and I know that many people in Shulik listening to this, I sometimes feel that way too, that they don't have that many connections when it comes to like, oh, maybe I want to get into marketing or I want to get into finance or want to do this or that. But I don't really know how to do it because I don't know anybody. I know like, some random person that my mom knows because they work at TD, but that as far as it go, what advice would you give to someone like that? Yeah, for sure. So I think there's two things that's very different. Uh, actually, probably one ma- major thing from when I was a student, right? And remember, this is back uh, for almost five years ago, right? Um, back then, we didn't have nearly as much support as we do today, right? It was coming out. I was lucky in that I, I'm still, I'm very grateful on like, you know, launch YU, and, you know, the plethora of other programs. But I think first right. and foremost right now, what, you know, speaking as a Schulich student, and I know, you know, there's some people watching outside of this, there is a very, very powerful and growing exponentially. There's a, a growing community that very much came to life when Chris Carter joined uh, Schulich full-time. So I don't, I don't know if you guys know him. Um, he has spearheaded a lot of the entrepreneurial movements in Shulek. And there's so many opportunities now. If you want to get your hands dirty with entrepreneurship, look into the type of uh, work that he's doing. I'm sure, you know, if you just search up entrepreneurship, Shulek, there's a bunch of opportunities. Shulek Startup Night, where you can pitch a business uh, idea. There's, you know, there's, there's so many different events that's happening on a monthly basis, right? That um, I'm actually even, I'm, I'm, I'm even getting involved in because I'm seeing the value post-graduation. So I can't, I, I can't imagine, like, as a student, if I had access to all of that mentorship, all of those good, uh, good advice, how well that would do. Uh, but beyond that, really, during my time, um, I sought mentorship and guidance in two ways, right? So the first was externally. So what I recommend is, guys, honestly, the books I read in business school that professors gave me to learn about business meant fuck all about starting a business, <laughs> right? Honestly, like, truly, guys, like, stop reading those books. Find a, like, you know, just... Look at the PowerPoint slides, get your grades, right? Get whatever the passing grade is. And if your ego can solve, like can settle for a passing grade, like, you know, work, work, work on it, right? Focus on 
acquiring knowledge outside of school, right? Focus on acquiring knowledge outside of school, focus on experiential education, right? And fortunately now, Shulik is coming out with a lot of these programs, right? How do you get internship experience for credit? How do you get external knowledge, right? But again, getting good grades, that is only one variable towards learning. And at least when I was a student, I felt that there was a negative correlation from my GPA and how much I got out of university. So it took me a lot of, I guess, like a self-realization and a lot of internal struggle as a type A student, you know, always wanted to achieve the best to actually forego my grades. And at one point I'm like, you know what, fuck it, right? I'm, not, I'm just going to get, I'm just going to passing grades. I'm going to seek my education elsewhere because I think I can do better than what's being taught in school. Having said that, uh, so I do recommend, so how do you do that? Um, read books, guys, right? I hated reading when I was in university and therefore I didn't read a lot, but the type of books that... I've been reading lately, like it's highly encouraging, highly addictive. And if you can build an addiction to reading, that is the best source of mentorship you can get, right? So uh, today I process uh, about a book a week. And yeah, it's, it's like, I think it's life changing because you're literally getting mentored by some of the most successful people all over the world at a much faster pace than you could ever trying to do things alone. Uh, the last thing that I do want to give a shout out to is when I was in that desperate time. Uh, there was two programs that really helped me out. One was Launch YU and it was, you know, like a very standard um, uh, incubation program for early stage uh, businesses to really help uh, us create the business model and all that. So I think that like it, um, at least for me, it provided me with the community of other entrepreneurs, right? And they say, you know, like the five closest people to you is going to determine how you grow, right? So at that time, I needed a have more entrepreneurial friends. So that got me there. But the quintessential support program and network that I had is the best lab initiative, right? So I I do want to accredit kind of like everything that I've achieved today. Like, I think a huge, huge amount of that came from the best lab support network, I guess, an educational opportunity that is hosted from with the Lasagna of Engineer. Um, It's hosted in their faculty. But you know, we even right now, like we meet on a weekly basis. It's Think of it like a mastermind. Think of it as something that, especially if you're into, uh, if you want to start something, but you don't have the technical foundation, um, you know, it's based out of a, an engineering school, right? So that's already good, um, good exposure there. So uh, for anyone that's interested today, like I think that's a great resource. So if you search up BEST, B-E-S-T, BEST Lassonde, and uh, there's, you'll find a way to reach out to them and uh, um, maybe get involved in mm-hmm. that program. Yeah, and again, this is not just for Shulik or for Lasan students. This is for everybody. You were talking before about kind of the trouble you went through and like kind of identity crisis, trying to figure out what you want to do, and you you explored all these paths and it didn't work for you. So out of necessity, you kind of start your own business. Looking back now, and the kind of trouble and hardship that you said you went through, what do you think that uh, business school in general? could have changed to help you or have been more impactful for you? Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, I often have this discussion with a lot of people that I respect greatly, a lot of my mentors. And there's basically two sides of the coin in this, right? So on the first side, did Schulich, did York, you know, did a post-secondary education help me become who I am today? Absolutely. 100%. I cannot get to where I am today without this program. Okay. So I'm not discrediting that it didn't add value, right? That's not where I'm coming from. I think it adds tremendous value, right? I just think that, is it optimal for learning? Is it optimizing building students into the leaders of the next generation? Absolutely not. Any program that takes some of the most intellectual uh, secondary uh, students or, you know, high school students into a program, it's bound to have successes. It's bound to do something. It has to. Right, yeah. but is the institution optimized for learning? Is it optimized to learn the right things? And I don't think it is. Right, I think it's going in the right direction. Right, the huge influx of uh, focus on entrepreneurship. I think it's driving that. Right, and it takes both a top-down and a bottom-up approach. Students are showing interest. The media is constantly publicizing when it comes to business on all of these successful entrepreneurs, and. As a result, uh, and, and also there's the top-down influence of major major game changers in Shulik. There's so many people that um, has personally influenced me and helped me along my journey that is pushing the change, right? So I think it's moving in the right direction. And what is that right direction, right? I think we should incorporate a lot more experiential education, right? 
Um, I think we need to divest in in-person learning and invest more in online modes of education, right? The world's changing. And beyond just business school, I think any post-secondary education formats right now uh, is in an existential crisis, right? I don't know. In this current form, I can't see it succeeding in the next 10 years, right? I think it seriously needs to reevaluate how it's going to survive in this accelerating pace of evolution that uh, basically is driven by Moore's law, right? You know, technology is doubling uh, every year or so. So that, that, that goes hand in hand with, you know, AI, with online formats and just seeing how the COVID virus and all of these things have affected our, our education format. I think we need to, if we, if we shift and if the education, if institutional education changes in the same pace as it has in the past 10 years, in the next 10 years, it will surely have much less of a market influence than it does, than it does today. And to the end, I truly, this year, I think it was the pivotal point for uh, an issue realization for many. Okay, that's fair. I was just going to ask a quick question when we were talking about school. And yeah, it, I think it is getting a bit out of date right now, or at least right now is a big tipping point. But if we look at the actual topics and things that were taught at school. I remember talking to you uh, while back and you said that if you could make a single dollar out of entrepreneurship before the end of uni, you'd commit to it. And I mean, I guess you did. So that's why you're here today. But what do you think you would have done if you didn't go into entrepreneurship? Yeah, I mean, obviously hindsight is 2020, right? So it's hard to say because all of these experiences has given me the perspective to redesign an education, right? So I think if I didn't go into business given who I am and again I'm a very specific individual everyone's different with their own strengths I would probably look into systems engineering or anything that is broad scope engineering so not something that is hyper specific and probably not looking for an engineering designation out of it but more so in terms of uh, getting the right modes of thinking that can help me succeed for the rest of my life I think an undergrad is a great foundation that is going to teach you how to think right uh, business school actually does somewhat of a, a good job at it, depending on what you choose to specialize in, right? Some specializations teaches you critical thinking better than others. But I think if I were to optimize for how I learning how to think, it would be through an engineering degree. Um, now, having said that, I've had previous thought experiments to say, hypothetically, if I were to have a kid, let's say, and my kid is, you know, my, my child is 18 years old, do I, would I encourage them to go to university? And I think being the contrarian, um, I would, and I, again, this is just a mental experiment, but I think it's interesting to think about, look, if you're going to be, if you're going to be wasting 40, not wasting, but like if you're going to be spending 40 to $60,000 on something, right? Yes. School is going to add value to you, but can you optimize your ROI on something that's a little bit more worth, uh, more worthwhile? Wow. So hypothetically, let's say first year, right? Give you $10,000 and you can use that $10,000 to travel the world. Okay. And guess what? $10,000, that's not a lot of money to travel the world, or right? you're living at 800, a thousand bucks a month. So you got to learn how to like life skills, right? Right. Learn like social skills, you know, learning how to just survive on your own, right? Living, living on a boost, uh, bootstrap budget. Right. And, and that perhaps leading into the second year, spend the next $10,000, don't have to make anything, right? Experiment with it and try to like, and start your own business. Right. And then in the next year, use that $10,000 and I don't know, invest it or something, right? And the last 10 years, pick something else, right? Like, but I think it's interesting. And I, I proposed this model to um, several friends of mine. And I think what they came back to me with is like, yes, Jimmy, if you were you, this would be a fantastic educational format because you're like, I'm naturally proactive and I'll like get, you know, I want to seek these experiences and I love learning, right? But unfortunately, like I, well, not unfortunately, but like the reality is not like not everyone is, is like that. And especially coming out of high school, I don't think our education format prepares us to even take advantage of that learning opportunity if that was presented to them in that format. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it makes but, sense, yeah. Yeah, but just a thought, just right? Just, I think it's yeah. a cool thought. I feel like it'll be interesting to see what... Like, yeah, I think the, the way that it is right now right. is just because like, while that sounds you know, interesting and kind of 180 from the norm. I think it's just because right now it's very safe. You know, you don't have to be going out of your way to do stuff. You can just sit, take your courses, get your degree and move on. You know what I mean? Honestly, Seb, like if I were you, I'd take a year off of Shulik, get a gap year and just try to be like a professional <laughs> chef on YouTube. 
Honestly, man, like you shouldn't man. have said anything about that. He's like, you're going to make me do He's it. Like, I'm out, guys. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> man, honestly, if I were you, like, I don't know your personal circumstances. I don't know, like, all the, like, the pressure. Everyone's under some, some sort of pressure, right? But, like, knowing what I know of you, I think I would love, like, that's what I'll be experimenting with. And maybe, like, man, travel the world, go to Peru, learn Peruvian-style cooking. Go to Ecuador, man. Like, visit his family. You have right? a family, you have a house that's ready for you. <laughs> if you go to yeah, it, man. Don't even worry. You probably have like chickens just like grow around the field. You know, you can like do <laughs> uh, dinner. But no, like go go around the world, make a vlog, experiment with different styles of cooking, and grow. You know, try to grow an audience. You'll probably fail. It's fine, right? But I think that's much more of an incredible story to take back once you graduate than just spending four years like in a in a school, right? And obviously, not all of us is privileged enough to have that experience. I'm very right. privileged. I know that. I'm very lucky to have the financial means to do that. Um, and also, like, you know, I had a lot of scholarship backing me at the time. Um, but if you can, man, like, think about it. Like, it's, you know, the world, like, you can live a long life. Because you brought that up and <laughs> talking about how you travel. I'm like, man, what if, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe. Also on the traveling yeah. thing, I guess I was just going to ask to elaborate on, like, you're talking you went to rural Guatemala, which is one, a one-way ticket is a ballsy move, man. <laughs> but two, I was just going to say, like, um, I know when you came back from Guatemala, you uh, got involved and you started like um, the process to get a course going about that and about like uh, supply chain management. Okay, you told me and I didn't even know that was possible. So <laughs> I was just wondering if you could explain what the hell happened there. It wasn't, it wasn't possible. <laughs> They said it, it couldn't be done, but he right? did it. <laughs> I was just desperate because, again, I just didn't belong anywhere. I was an outcast. But no, uh, really, Seb. Um, so I, so I, I piloted this course right when I was. Um, so yeah, I, look, I'm a marketer, okay. And as a marketer, I like to give you punchlines. So booking a one-way ticket to rural Guatemala as an undergrad in Shulik, that's a punchline for you, right? But there's always a story behind it, and I'm a very calculated guy. And if you ask anyone in my company, they would probably tell you that I'm the least, I'm the most risk averse person in our company, right? But again, our company is pretty radical, okay? But how I assess risk is different than how other people assess risk, okay? And I'll tell you one, the major difference, okay? The first thing is that I completely disassociate myself from CrowdThink. In fact, and this has caused me a lot of pain, right? So take this with a grain of salt, but if someone, if if the majority of people want to do something, I'm automatically repulsed by it. I think it's a personal you know, deficiency that I have. I don't know. There's something, right? But if everyone's doing something, I'm like, man, like, it's probably a bad idea. <laughs> so, so here it goes. Um, so, so, you know, like in Shulik, everyone is, you know, wants to go into accounting. Automatically, I'm skeptical, right? Everyone wants to be the club president. Automatic, I'm like, is that really the best thing we, I could be doing in my time? So that's, I think that was the groundwork that really kind of molded the way I think. And again, I know this is weird, right? So it's, I'm trying to boil it down to maybe some practical elements that you guys take, can take away from. So at the time, guys, you got to realize like second year university, like I think especially in Shulik, like second year is the hardest for my stream, which is the IBA program, IBBA. And second year is Damn. also honestly, like it's, it was hard because I went through first year. I had this, you know, I had this corporate internship. Um, in China, right? And I worked there and I'm like, wow, whatever I learned was fucking useless. Come, but come back to school, learn more about these useless topics, trying to, and you know, like there's courses where I'm like, why? Like I was really in, interested in it and really wanted to get the, practic the practicality out of it and love debating and all that. But at the end of the day, I, I realized I can go through that. And I did for like, you know, during uh, semi, uh, uh, like midterm exams. And I got like a really shitty mark because that's how I chose to learn the topic. So I'm like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm just going to try to get a good mark. So all I did was I went through the textbook, memorized all of the bolded words definitions. Did it in literally like three hours and I got like an A, you know, an A on the exam. So it's like, wow, that's like, if I'm actually interested in the, in the course and I want to dive deep into it and, you know, like, you know, interview my professors and just like really take a deep curiosity into it, I actually get worse than just memorizing a definition. That's really how you're evaluating my competency for this course. Sure. Let's play the game. Right. But at the end of the day, like I, I'm all about authenticity and I hate living in a facade and that's truly how I felt. So during that second year, um, I just needed to leave. Like I needed an escape and, you know, having, you know, <laughs> having like Chinese parents, I guess, uh, <laughs> I need to justify how I can do it. So the only way to say it's like, look, I'm getting yeah. a course credit for it. Right. So 
so I, I connected with a Sri Lanka alumni that started a. Uh, so I'll, I'm going to yeah. explain the process, right? And um, I'll draw some lessons from this. But I basically connected with the Sri Lanka alumni that started a nonprofit that did experiential education, right? And based off of that, he had. Um, I went to his office and I met the program coordinator in Guatemala. There was absolutely no intention. I was just, it's just purely like, again, I hated business school. So I want to learn like what a nonprofit is because maybe that's what I, you know, could, could just part of the exploration. Um, had a, literally had like a four hour conversation with the guy, right? Went out for coffee, was meant to be 20 minutes, had a four hour conversation about how we can potentially structure this really cool course in, um, in Chulik. And we had an idea. Right. So after that four hour conversation, we had a next step. My next step is take this idea and maybe like bring it, bring it up to someone. Right. I don't even know who to bring it up to. So I went to multiple people, leveraged the um, I think the IBBA committee from the UBC council, like the student council of Schulich, leveraged that to get connected with uh, administration, who then ultimately connected uh, me to the IBBA BBA program committee, which is uh, like a lot, uh, it's a community, it's a committee of professors that basically make academic decisions on an undergraduate level, uh, built up a pitch about experiential education and about how I'm like, you know, I want to learn outside of the scope of a classroom and ultimately got program approval to go to Guatemala for, uh, uh, to study supply chain, right? Why supply chain is because um, I, I don't know, I, I thought supply chain was a pretty dry con. Uh, uh, course. So wouldn't it be cool to make this literally the sexiest course in Sherlock? That'd be pretty cool, right? Um, and we, so we studied the supply chain of coffee, right? Coffee being the second most traded commodity in the world by volume next to uh, oil, petroleum. Uh, so we studied the supply chain of coffee, but the intention of this is literally to get out of the classroom, right? So instead of studying in a lecture hall, We'll literally hike backpack and hike volcanoes, interview like, you know, uh, like past civil war combatants who are current coffee farmers, right? Really understand the political landscape of that. We, we actually got uh, an interview with the past Guatemalan president, right? In his kind of bunker down base, uh, um, you know, in the middle of Guatemala City. And, uh, you know, like went to almost like, like kind of like the White House there. And it was, it was, it was a super rad experience. And um, all in all, like, that was like I like I had we had this organized in a way that uh, we basically secured six students to pilot this course, and it was only at that point where I took advantage of that and really tagged along and said I'm gonna book a ticket to Guatemala because I know what I'm doing now, right? And on top of that, I actually like I, I was able to secure an internship with that experiential education company. Um, uh, in Guatemala after the, the course study. So I had, a, I have all these backup plans, right? Got the course done. I have my internship and the idea is that I spent six months there, learn Spanish, right? Then I can kind of like travel South America all the way down to uh, Chile, right? And I uh, had an exchange program there. So that all together, that constructed mm -hmm. a 16 month experience, right? So again, calculations, right? So yes, if I thought like everyone else, Right. If I was under crowd thinking, I would be paranoid to take this option because for no other rational reason, but the fact that no one else was doing it, that's what brought paranoia. Right. Mm -hmm. But I don't think like that. Instead, I thought, okay, what are my risks? Okay. If I was in Shulik and I didn't leave it for four years straight, here's the risk, right? I'm not optimizing my education, right? I don't feel fulfilled. I'm, I feel incredibly unhappy. Right. And ultimately I don't see a future in me even continuing this. So I might even drop out. That's the risk. What's the risk of me going to Guatemala and just like taking a, buying a one-way ticket there? What, I might lose out on a year, right? I might be a year, who cares, right? Like, oh, I graduate a year later. Like, why are we so afraid of that, right? Really, right? And honestly, guys, like out of all of my friends who's graduated out of Schulich, like the, for the majority of students who graduate and find a job afterwards, there's, they don't even look at your GPA, right? So it's like, again, like all of these things that were like conditioned into our um, everyday life, just because everyone else is worried about it, like get out of the crowd think, right? And really have your own um, original thoughts and stick to it and have, again, don't be irrational, have a pro and con analysis, do, you know, like wait, what are the pros? Assess what are the cons? Yeah. And yeah, assess the risk like any good business student should. <laughs> but, and again, you're learning how to, like, this is investment philosophy 101, right? Get out of crowd think. But I think you learn these things, but you don't take it into practice. You don't take it to heart to think like, wow, I actually, I, I literally have no identity as a person because I just follow what everyone else thinks is important.
first of all, that like whole point that you bring up is very interesting. And I feel like that's something that all of us should consider at some point. We know if we just go mindlessly about our degree, then once we finish that, once we get to the end of the line, it'll just be kind of like a Sisyphean thing in which we look back at everything. We're like, okay, what do I do now? And we didn't have that kind of a... Uh, oh my God, that was so... What? That was so well said, Sisyphean. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, um, given the fact that you studied, uh, you had this experiential learning in Guatemala and you went to, I believe, uh, the University of uh, Adolfo Bañez in Chile, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. How does the, like, not only the educate, like the, literally the educational system compared to being in Shulik, but also how did your experiences contrast in between the two of them? I know that I have my, uh, my, fa my family members are, are university in Ecuador and things like that. And the way they experience things is quite different. So given your take, you experienced both of them. How is it like for you? So you want me to like compare and contrast Guatemala with Chile or like all of that with North America, like with Canada or Toronto? Whichever way you want to take it, just kind of like, you know, give us a bit of like your experience about how. Yeah, went, yeah, you know? for sure. For sure. And I think um, I, I'm just trying to keep the audience in mind, right? Because I, I don't even know how many of them have like a Latino background. Um, yeah. And I, I feel like that's kind of the question if it's if I answer the second one. So let, let's talk about like a more broader element, Latin America culture. Um, so here, here's the thing, right? So again, like all the, so throughout this whole thing, like there's no intention, right? Like I like to stream this narrative to say like, oh yeah, I had this master plan, but no, it wasn't. It was just <laughs> me kind of reaching out into the void of like depression, just trying to figure out well, what the hell is the meaning of life, right? Uh, so through that, like, you know, you, you drive some good, like some good lessons that you like to build into this retrospective narrative of what, what you've learned. Right. So this is kind of where I'm coming from, but, um, look, like I think one, I guess, crowd think and just a true, um, I, I do think, well, it's a lie if you, you know, it, it's true if you think it's true, but, um, one thing is really like kind of like the American or Canadian North American dream. Right. So you do all of these things, you work hard, you save up and you, you know, maybe you start a company one day, you cash out and you're going to be happy, right? Yeah, man. Like when I was down there, like you're, you get your mind blown because you see how happy these people are with so little and you really see kind of like the people that you're like that I'm around at least at the time, right? Like in undergrad. And I actually think, you know, um, especially in today's age, like with social dis distancing, um, you know, the proliferation of just all these online modes of communication that there's a huge uh, pandemic or, you know, like whatever you want to call it of loneliness as well, right? People feel isolated. People aren't happy. Um, and with the whole undergraduate pressure, especially studying in elite business school, um, there was a lot of depression out there, right? And it was just really eye-opening to see that while like I come from like, such a privileged background. I had everything and, you know, like I don't even have to worry about anything except for my grades, like in undergrad. And yet I, I, I reached kind of almost like at my age, like the pinnacle of success. And I was so depressed. And I saw someone who every day they're just, you know, worry about how they're going to get food and, you know, what such like simple concerns, yet they live in a way that is so much more conducive to being in the long run. Um, and I think it was fortunate for me to take some of those lessons back to be able to uh, apply it into how I run the company at Audit, right? Um, how I treat people in my community and how I treat myself and how I love myself. Because yeah, I, I just think that's not talked about enough. Um, and there's there's a, like an underground underground uh, an underlying um, issue, like challenge that everyone faces that no one else, like, you know, that you might face, Jesus, right? That Sebastian might face that no one else knows about. So just, you know, take that in perspective, take that in perspective. And for me, I took those lessons and I helped the people around me to cultivate that sense of community and that sense of happiness. Yeah, I think I fall kind of, like, I'm, I'm aware of it and I try and improve it, but I know I'm still falling victim to doing that. And it's like, like you said, I know that I, I'm very privileged to live the life that I do. And I'll catch myself complaining about some garbage minor aspect of my life. I'm like, hold on, man. I'm like, you can't be serious. Like, I, I don't know. I catch myself. But at the same time, yeah. I think that even if you're aware of it, it's, it's very easy to fall into that trap because you kind of get tunnel visioned into only your own life. And you, you know, sometimes it's good to take a step back and look at like, well, wait a minute. You know, I'm complaining about a course that I get to do at a, you know, university in Canada. I work in, for my grades and I don't have worries about food. You know, I think it's a lot about perspective. 
Sebastian, I think on another perspective, it's like, yeah, you're privileged, but also you're unprivileged, right? And what I mean by that is that you are surrounded in an environment that isn't conducive to happiness. It's not conducive to you for you to feel whole, right? There's constant things that you're pressured to do, people that you're sur- that surrounds you that may not allow you to live the best life. And I think like, yes, like you can take this one perspective. It's like, yeah, like I'm privileged. I should be fucking like happier and all that. But another, it's like, how are you going to mold your environment so that you can be happier? Not just saying like, you know, I should be happier because of this, because I, th- I think it's because we say that often that actually mm-hmm. leads to more suffering. Yeah. Like awesome. we have to not get too down on ourselves, but at the same time, you have to recognize that you truly can be unhappy at any time and then realize what the actual cause of it is to fix it, not just write it off. We need to take into consideration the fact that we often fall into this like if and then statement of life. Like if I get the desired GPA or if I get my scholarship or my IBBA, then I'll be happy. Then I'll do this. And then all within the like desired goal of finding meaning and happiness somewhere. Right. But given the fact that everyone else is doing the same thing, we just think, okay, that's what we got to do too. But Mm -hmm. oftentimes that's not it. Like it, everyone's different. Everyone has different experiences, different different definitions of happiness too right and as you said with people in guatemala and chile and given my experiences as well uh coming from ecuador um it's way different there right and uh that's something that we should also take into consideration for sure for sure Hmm. i I think it's also um so i always i like one thing i try to keep in mind is um so in your mind like you can think of it as like a computer file right so you have different folders which holds different modes of thinking right Mm-hmm. So I have like a schemata, for example, of what success means to me. And then I have a schemata of what, how I identify with my ego, right? Who I think I should be, right? And my relationship with family and all these that you kind of, again, you're, you're culturally, um, you're culturally fed that this is how you should think. This is how you should think. And the whole avoiding crowd thing isn't just major things, right? Like, oh, I don't want to be an accountant where I don't want to do this, but rather looking at each one of these schemat like each one of these schematas each one of these folders deconstructing piece by piece all of your deeply held beliefs and ask yourself right is this really what i want to hold dear and is this really what i want to build my life on because these are truly the foundations and i think as someone who are who's in their 20s right and of course like uh, over as well right but like in the sooner the better reconstruct these modes of thinking to be more conducive to allow you to live a fuller life just like optimize to the best of your ability what you have like you yeah yeah because because right now guys like you have uh, everyone does right like especially growing up like you're you know you're fed so many things you don't like you know like you're about to have fed some bullshit lies right so mm-hmm. take every file that you have in, in your mind and like assess like is this something that i can i should delete mm-hmm. should like you know like maybe say for later, but don't have it for now. Whereas it's a deeply held belief that I want to continue holding on to, right? And I'll just give you one thing, right? Uh, in the past, like when other people succeeded, I constantly compared myself to them. And I thought that was a good thing because I was competitive, right? But I realized that like you, you take all the fun out of competition when you're so toxic to want other people to lose and yourself to win, right? Competition becomes so much more fun when it's actually play, right? When you're actually doing it, you love the people that's a part of the game. And you are building up so that each, each one of you, like each one of your opponents is getting better, but you're also growing as a result. But again, these are just, that's just one held belief that you have to kind of cognitively re-engineer for your own uh, life purpose, depending on what you want to get out of yeah, your, your experiences. I don't know. That's an interesting way of looking at it. I, I think growing up too, you see like certain things and it's everyone's trying to form an identity. And like, you know, who you're around, what's in the media, whatever you see is so vastly a part of that, that like, I'd find myself, for example, um, I was just talking to Jesus earlier, I'd like, you know, when I was younger, I'd see certain political views or things that I'd see in the media right then. I'm like, okay, I'm going to latch myself onto that. You know, I believe this, this is what I believe right now. And I look back now, or I look back, you know, even a year after that, I'm like, I, I don't care that much. You know, it's not that, it's not that deep to me or even different parts of your personality that you feel like, you know, you've been complimented before on, or you've been, it's been mentioned by others. You're like, okay, so that's who I am. You know, I think it's a game of just trying to narrow it down. Like a guess who of, okay, I am this, I am that. And then at the end of the day, 
some of them are just kind of for show, I guess, that a lot of people fall into, including myself. For sure, for sure. And I, I think as you mature psychologically, you're going... So, so I, I remember, especially in the early 20s, um, I had a uni, like I had a singular definition of who I am and felt like I had to live up to that um, in front of everyone that I see. But as your definition grows, you're, you, you, as you progress through your own journey and you, as you progress through the journey of suffering, because you will suffer through this, right? Having this, trying to upkeep this facade, right? You're going to realize that your consciousness and you, who you are human, uh, it's much more complicated than just having this one face. Right? And you're going to realize that this one face is very much irrelevant, right? It says a dimension of who you are with infinite dimension, right? So, and then kind of as you progress, like, how do you take on more dimensions, right? Like, you know, and, and you're going to go through these life experiences. Like for me, for example, I went as the all suit and tie business, corporate bound business student who, you know, uh, wanted to get the highest grades all the way to like this dirtbag hippie, you know, like descending South America and, you know, trying to figure out the meaning of life to this guy who like, you know, dedicated like you know, 10 days to a silent meditation retreat and like went to anyone um, all the way up to like, like, you know, I'm a salsa dancer, like you said, right. And now I'm an entrepreneur and when I'm talking to you, I'm putting this other dimension of who I am, but ultimately there's so city, right. And like, it's just the face guys, like don't get so attached to it because you know, like, I, I feel like that's what we suffer a lot, and especially in, uh, uh, at a younger age, is like when that face gets attacked, when that face gets kind of, um, when you lose face, right? That's what, you, you know, the idea of losing yeah. face is like, people don't respect face, but why are you so attached to it? Go yeah. go get another face then, you know, like keep yeah. switching. Like, it's it's a fun thing. It's not supposed to be like such a, such a heart, like, uh, you know, like um, a serious yeah. topic, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Don't take yourself too seriously. Switch, switch it up, you know, have some fun. Think of yourself as a as an actor, right? And you, you have different you have different impressions that you need to play depending on your role in life. Yeah, I think right? it's like yeah. I think that's so, a worrying thing too, because it's like yeah, yeah, it's like, like we were talking earlier with school versus yeah. you know investing the forty k somewhere else. It's like you know you can look at like oh I'm just this face now you know it'll change it'll naturally flow but like I guess a lot of people kind of grab onto it and it's like no I. I found something. This is safe. I know what it is. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna run with this. And at the end of the day, like when you find out that that can't stay the same always, you know, you can't always be the same person. Then it's kind of like it's a shitty moment, and then you kind of have to go again. And and guys, like that's where, especially uh, like you know, as a business student trying to find these corporate jobs, right? Like you, you just identify as the marketing kid, as the accounting kid, accounting bound student, right? So all you do is network for KPMG, right? You're you're you have this identity that you're, you know, you want to be an investment banker, right? So all you do is, you know, like try to like fluff up your conversation and like trying to impress people at network yeah. events, right? And, and see that the challenge is where suffering comes in is when that identity gets shattered or when your soul cries out so hard. It's like, and I, I fucking hate this. This is not me. That's when suffering happens because you're so attached to this face that you put on for everyone else. Because you think that it's important for some reason to impress everyone else to put on this face. But truly, like, what you need to be putting on and what you need to be focusing on is, you know, being real to yourself. Right? And I'll give you a personal example, right? Like, right now, I'm, you know, I'm talking to you like I'm some sort of, like, holy guru, which, you know, like, it's just a persona, guys, right? Um, and then I talk, and then, you know, then I talk to my mentors and I freaking, you know, I completely break down. I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing with my business. I'm so lost. There's, like, struggles right now that we're dealing with that um, I don't know how to even get out of right um and then you know there's you know another face that I might put on um with my friends right and again like it's gonna like don't don't take life so seriously right don't don't take this identity that you claim to be who you are like don't get so attached to it yeah be flexible I think I got that ugly moment like this year when I got um like I I think I've told some people, but like I've tried to get into shoelick and whatever. I had it on my wall, you know, in front of my desk. I was grinding, 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 doing my stuff. And then I got in and I'm like, okay, now what? <laughs> my whole thing was like, I'm going to get here. I'm going to do it. And I'm like, okay, what do I want to do now? And I, uh, I uh, didn't do so well second semester because of it. Cause I'm like, okay, why am I, why am I actually here? I'm not a business kid that I thought I would be or whatever 
like I'm not I'm not even shitting on it. It's just I look at myself and like I don't fit that description that I you know thought I did. I mean, I, I think I've kind of realized it now and I'm slowly moving out of it. It cost me gaining like 20 pounds in first year and like not feeling the best. But like we, we move, we move. Like it's, it's so interesting how the body already gives you hints when things aren't happening, right? Like my, I remember when I went lost 30 pounds, like right off the first three months, just mm-hmm. shedding all of the facade that I was putting on for myself. It's, it's, yeah, it's crazy how your body reacts. You know, you optimize your personal life and we're looking, you called yourself the optimizer of Odyssey 3D. And um, we just want to ask like, key, what, what do you think are the keys to making a group of people work together effectively? And like, you know, letting everyone shine in their individual components. I'm, I'll, I'll, let me tell you something that's like an internal battle that I go through with these type of things, okay? As I'm not Odyssey 3D, right? Um, I simply have a role, again, I have a face that I need to put on to represent the company, right? And media talk about CEO success stories as if they like, you know, freaking conquer the world, but that's not true. That's absolutely not true, right? Odyssey is not me. Odyssey is everyone that's currently a part of the company. And in the future, there's gonna be more that's gonna be joining, right? So let's start off with that, right? Um, one thing that I think can cultivate a trustful relationship and an authentic relationship the way that we do is that we have a philosophy that eaters, uh, leaders eat last. Okay. So what I mean by that is I very much look at my role in the company in like an upside down pyramid scheme, right? So like in, in business school, we're taught that CEO's the top, right? And you have everyone reporting to the CEO, right? And the employees and or the man- middle managers and then the VPs and then the other C-level executives reports to CEO, right? But very much how I see my role at the company is at the service of those who have dedicated their time to being a part of this journey, to being a part of my journey, right? And I appreciate them so much. And how I think about optimizer role is that it's my job to look at the major points of leverage in the company that if I tweak up and optimize a little bit can have a 10x effect on how our company grows. Okay, so that's that's kind of the optimizer role. It's the construction of everyone in the company and to establish a unifying drive of why we do what we do. And I think that has really been the key to our success because, see, my management style, I, 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 for lack of a better word, my management style is basically non-existent in a way that we employ freaking talented people, right? I have t- very talented co-founders, right? And in most aspects, in most aspects, they're better than me at. They're more talented than me at, right? And I'm simply a conduit for, the, for Odyssey 3D to become what it's eventually destined to be. And I take the message and the culture that is created by the team and I vocalize that in a way, in a consistent way, because I'm very systematic. I vocalize that in a consistent way so that people are often reminded of it so that they know doing what the purpose is and then they're empowered to make their own decisions so this is our kind of leadership philosophy and i think at least up until this point it has worked tremendously for us i don't know but all of this what you're talking about sounds very like biblical to me in a way like the whole sense of like people at the top will be the ones serving and things like that and i think that's a very interesting point of view also i wanted to ask you now that we talked about education and things like that what are your thoughts on things like Skillshare and all of these different platforms that are trying to stem away from the whole sitting down in a classroom and do your six, seven, eight hours of schooling and then get your degree? Traditional education should be scared shitless because they're in the trend, like they're on the path of becoming obsolete very soon. The thing with exponential technology is that you don't see it creeping up on you, right? And what I mean by that is like, okay, what is exponential growth, right? So, you know, going from if you're going 2x, right, going from 0.1 to 0.2 to 0.4 to 0.8, you're not going to, still seems linear on a graph. But once it hits, you know, two and then four and then eight, and then boom, all of a sudden you look at the previous assumption thinking that it's a linear growth model and you're seeing it accelerate. This is where radical things happen. This is where complete, like traditional industry leaders get completely taken out of the game. This is where Sears has to create bankruptcy, right? And you have like Airbnb and Uber and all these formats taking over. And, you know, there's certain industries where I can make a case on why they won't get disrupted 
right? It's inevitable, but I can make a case on why some things need to happen first. But when it comes to education, like literally there's nothing else stopping. It's just a matter of time. And you're, we've already seen such a strong movement into kind of online learning formats. Um, so I think one thing that's incredible here is access to education. Where in the past, we've literally had like the world's most elite people having access to better education than anyone else. But imagine a globalized economy where someone in Ecuador or someone in Guatemala can have just as much resources, should they choose to exercise it, as someone studying in Harvard. How will the world, uh, how would world resources be distributed in that sense, right? Um, and there is going to be so much disruption in this industry and so many kind of linked uh, variables that is going to shift as a result. I'm really excited for it, uh, if you can't tell already. Um, and if you look at the world, like in the next, I think it was like in the next 10 years, like 4 billion people are going to be coming online. That's crazy, right? How, like, never, so I had, okay, so another thought experiment that I, been putting together it's still in production i would love any audience who's in reach out to me i'm happy to discuss this but a thought experiment of how can you create something monetizable to educate a billion people in this world now that's never been done before because in traditional modes of education in institutional brick and mortar like you know like lecture halls all you can't you can't scale up to that level but in this new economy, in this new globalized economy with, you know, like universal access to strong, uh, you know, broadband and 5G, all of these things, this is now the new, the new norm. And in the next 10 years, right, the type of internet that we have right now, the type of communication will have that, right? In like the poorest of states, right? Someone, you know, like nowhere in like the corners of the world will have the exact same amount of connection, which means that they'll have the exact same of resources and virtually access to all of the world's knowledge at their fingertips. So it's incredibly interesting times. Interesting. And I surely like if, you know, say I'm going to like, you know, have kids down the road, I, I'm going to put my money down on that the kid. By that time, it will actually be the societal for them not mm -hmm. to go to university. Or it will be at least more normalized to say that, or to not have to be pressured to go to that road. I think, um, like, granted, I can't comment on that thought experiment too deeply, but just off initial reaction, it sounds like, at least the way things are going, that um, AI, for me, seems like it would play a large part in it in, like, you know, not having the sheer teaching capacity to do it by humans. I think already university, at least in the West, or at least in Canada, has a tendency to, like, in my opinion, at least stray away from the traditional, like, debate, 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 and, like, sharpen ideas to kind of here's the ideas that you should have and you should follow. I guess I'm, I'm just looking at like AI as like, you know, who gets to control that? Yeah. And I think like really to go on that train of thought, um, one of the challenges of doing this whole debate format um, is the scalability, right? So if you have a thousand students who's in a class and only one professor, how can he debate with a thousand kids, right? So that's where AI can, you know, come into play. Uh, by personalizing the education format in a way that is actually conducive to actual learning, which is, you know, like applying your skills in verbal debate and all that versus just blindly like through old memory and just like, you know, be blindly told what you have to know. All right. Uh, Jimmy, once again, thank you so much for being part of this podcast today, uh, for sharing your knowledge and your experience and everything that you had to offer today. I definitely got a lot from it and I'll be doing some uh, questioning about my decisions about who I am. <laughs> to anyone listening, if you want to learn more about or work with Jimmy at his company, Odyssey 3D, go to odyssey3d.ca slash apply, which is O-D-Y-S-S-E-Y-3D.ca slash apply because they're always tiring and they want to talk to you. Or if you just want to know more about Jimmy himself and what he's doing and what's going on in his headspace, uh, go to odyssey.ca. That's O D I. SEA.ca. Thank you, Jimmy, once again, and hope that everyone's listening has a good day. Sweet. Thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure.